Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 47. Our special guest is Nicholas Ward. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. I'm here with Nicholas Ward. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Brad? Does anyone call you Nick? No, I can't stand being called Nick. You can't? My mother calls me Nick. <laughs> she does? <laughs> yes. But like I just, when I was younger, I went by Nick because I didn't have a choice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and as an adult, I prefer to be called Nicholas. Yeah, well, I've only heard people call you Nicholas, so I don't know why I asked that. I was it's just, okay. just curious. <laughs> so I'm going to start by uh, reading your credits. You were on the U.S. tour of Showboat, the European tour of Porgy and Bess. At Encores, you've done 1776, Cabin in the Sky, Zorba, Paint Your Wagon, and Pipe Dream. And on Broadway, you're in On the Town, and currently you're in In Transit. Did I miss anything? No. I did um, Annie Get Your Gun, also uh, one of the Encores galas, and um, maybe some other odds and ends there. But yeah, that was good. Well, excellent. I always love when somebody else reads my bio, because it makes me sound so much more important. Oh, (laughs) well, you are very important. Well, I'm so excited that you said to do this, because we have a lot of mutual friends who are considered uh, brothers in an adopted family. Yes. And so when you said yes, it made me happy. Oh, my pleasure. So actually, I don't even know this. Where are you originally from, and how did you get started? Um, I was originally born in Oakland, California. Um, I left there when I was five, moved to Niceville, Florida. and that's really where I call home. When people ask me where I'm from, I say Niceville because I went spent from the age of five all the way up till college in Niceville. Niceville's in the panhandle between Panama City and Pensacola. Oh. It's about 45 minutes away from the Alabama state line. Um, it's the sticks, the woods, as we call it. Um, but Niceville's also known for um, Destin, Fort Walton Beach, or the most beautiful beaches in the country were the white sand beaches. Oh, yes. Um, and I for most of my life thought that that was the only kind of beach there ever was until I went to other beaches and realized that the sand was not as beautiful <laughs> as it was there. Um, but I, I, I grew up there and went to a small community college called Okaloosa Walton Community College, which at the time was a community college. Now it is a state college. It's Northwest Florida State College. And I started studying music very early on in middle school. I was lucky enough that my middle school voice teacher, music teacher, and my high school uh, music teacher were married to each other, Mr. Dye and Mrs. Dye. Mrs. Dye taught middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th, and Mr. Dye taught 9, 10, 11, 12. So I had very strict curriculum at a very young age as a musical student. Oh. Um, Every day when the bell rang, we had to be sitting with our tailbone on the edge of our seat with our music folder opened and a bottle of water waiting. This was started at sixth grade. And I had that same curriculum all the way up till 12th grade, just from the husband then. We also started singing <clears throat> every year at the Christmas concert. At middle school, you would come and sing with the high school and you'd get to have experience singing some really hard music um, with the high school. And then the high school did the same thing with the middle school. So it was kind of like, I think, in some ways, my real schooling started there with music. Um, and then I did, Florida is very big on solo and ensemble and um, all state music chorus mm. and reading choruses. And I competed in all of those. I was the first person to represent um, Lewis Middle School um, with all state chorus in the, <laughs> in the eighth grade. So like, I think for me, I started singing in the church early on, but really how my music career really started at that young age, really loving music and getting to sing all kinds of different music. Our course was um, very, very, <laughs> very disciplined and very intense. Yes, and like um, it. it was a lot of fun too, though. Just always getting to learn the, you know, the the music, can- the the mechanics of music. I guess you could say. So yeah. Did you move straight to New York? No. So I started. Um, I uh, went to Okaloosa Walton Community College. I was never the best at academics, meaning you know, uh, math, science, English. Um, I learned a little differently uh, at that time. I learned when I got into college that I had a little bit of a learning disability, and that's why I was having a little hard time getting through some of the the, the harder classes. And so when I got to college, I had this amazing woman, Frances Heron, to this day. She's no longer with us, but I thank her at the end of every one of my performances. As I bow, I always give a little shout out in my head. Yep, every single show. Wow. Um, I call her my angel. She, in college, she, very early on, she sat me down and she said, this is what we're going to do. You know, I got a full scholarship because I went to school um, in Florida. 
Um, but she basically, I had dance. It was basically like a conservatory program for two years from 8.30 in the morning, I took ballet and I would not stop taking dance classes, voice classes, acting classes all the way until the evening, um, five days a week. And this is a community college? This was a community college. Wow. But it, was, it wasn't it was a normal thing. She had only, she was married to the, he would be in charge of the performing arts, yeah. I guess you could say. And so we worked my schedule out so that I basically treated that school like a conservatory program. I didn't get any credits for them. I mean, I got credits, but it wasn't like I was going to walk away with a degree or anything. Right. Um, but it was like boot camp because she knew that if I wanted to do this, and at the time I didn't even know because growing up in a small town, I didn't know Broadway existed. I saw West Side Story at a young age, and that really inspired me. I thought, wow, there are people singing and dancing. But I never really knew that this was something I could make a career out of. I just loved to sing. But dance was never something growing up in a small town. There's not a lot of opportunities to dance. So she, she, she like busted my butt. And for two years, um, and I did the summer, every summer we did a musical. Um, we did West Side Story one summer. And Big River, I think, was another show we did one summer. And so, like, I basically, for two years, busted my butt. And then at the end of it, there was this thing called SETC, Southeastern Theater Conference. Oh, right. And that was my way of kind of finding out where I stood in this business. And she said, um, <laughs> it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, which where we were in Niceville. Uh, she contacted another school. I was the only person to go from my school. I took a bus. They picked me up from the bus station with the kids that they were going with. And we rode in a little van all the way to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we did SCTC. And she told me, if you get feedback from SCTC and people are going to cast you, then we'll come back, we'll get your audition book ready, and we'll send you, you know, you'll, you'll go into the world and be a professional actor. If not, if they're not liking what you're doing, or if they're not really, you don't fit into the, the puzzle, then you'll come back and we'll talk about, like, getting math, you know, algebra and history. So it was kind of do or die for me at that time. Mm. And so <clears throat> when I went, I was terrified. I had never gone to an audition. I had never experienced, you know, um, being around other performers other than the people at my little school, my tiny little school. So I was terrified. And oh. then on top of it, you're, you know, going with professional actors and, you know, it was, it was a lot. But at the end, I, I had a great experience. I had a lot of callbacks and I got, um, I think I had two or three different offers. One of them was Disney. To do the Lion King at Walt Disney World. Oh. One of them was um, McCaden Theater, Summer Stock there, and one of them was Ben Hur the Musical, <clears throat> which was this big elaborate musical that was going to be done in um, Orlando, Florida. They were trying to bring Broadway to Orlando. Oh, okay. So the way it all worked out, I ended up going to McCaden Theater, doing the summer there, and then after that, I uh, the person that was supposed to do Ben Hur, they got they fired. So they called me when I was in my last week of McCade and said, are you still available? Or are you, are you available now? And I was like, actually, I am now. Because the conflict at first was McCade. Mm. So it worked out. I went to Ben-Hur. I did Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur was, sadly, a musical that had big dreams and a lot of money spent on it. But their focus wasn't on marketing as well as it should have been. So it closed shortly after that. And when you should look up Ben-Hur the musical. It's actually fascinating. <laughs> it's It was... <clears throat> Like a $12 million musical oh in Orlando, gosh. Florida. We had $4 million animatronic courses. When you sat in the theater, um, around you was a Bose speaker system. So it sounded like you were sitting in the Coliseum and the chariot race was going around you. And the animatronic courses would come on. We had camels in the show. We had sheep in the show. Um, the guy who did the set was a set designer for The King, uh, the King and I, the original King and I. Oh, my um, gosh. Yes. Amick Byram, who um, he's the voice of... Uh, one of the people in Prince of Egypt. He'd been on Broadway. Somebody else from Les Mis was like Judah Ben-Hur. It was huge. And when I tell you, like, we had these costume fittings and shoes made. Money was just being thrown at it. And then it just kind of teetered out and went bankrupt. And a lot of us didn't get a couple checks. Anyway. Oh. Um, yeah. <clears throat> little drama there. But then that closed. And then I hit up um, the Disney casting director, Rush Jordan, um, who I called him and said, hey, this show is closing. And he's like, great. This is perfect timing because Lion King is starting rehearsals next week. So I literally bounced from that. I was already in Orlando, had my own apartment, or I was sharing an apartment at the time. And then I started working for Disney. And that's kind of how my first kind of boot camp into, into theater started. And, um, and then did Lion King um, off and on for about a year and a half. Left to do the national tour of Showboat. 
came back and did um, American Vibe, um, which is an acapella group, which full circle moment in transit, what I'm doing right now on Broadway, the musical producer of, in, one of the musical producers of In Transit, Deke Sharon, was the writer of the music of Disney's American Vibe 16 years ago. Oh, wow. Where I first started, yes. And so what's crazy is the show In Transit was birthed 16 years ago. Um, right after September 11th, our writers started working on In Transit. They started singing acapella music together, and then um, September 11th happened, and they wanted to do something that was a little more powerful and a little more meaningful, and so they started writing this musical. And so I met Deke 16 years ago. I'm working with him now on Broadway 16 years ago. This show In Transit started 16 years ago, and now I'm working on In Transit on Broadway. That it's is kind amazing. Of like, you can't get any more full, like, full circle than that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how my start, my career started. I mean, I hear that Disney takes great pride in the fact that people who boot camp with them have had great Broadway careers. Absolutely, Montego, she's a Disney Disney kid. She did The Lion King with me. Titus Burgess. Oh yes. He was a Nakawa in The Lion King that I did with me. Oh mm -hmm. wow. A lot of people come from Disney. I always recommend people. I think back in the day, it wasn't always looked at as maybe doing theme park or cruise ships were always the best way to go. But I think for a young person starting out, um, you learn to appreciate all aspects of theater, working in a smaller uh, venue. And Disney's a great company. You get full benefits. It's allowed me. I've worked for Disney in Orlando. I opened Hong Kong Disneyland doing Lion King. I worked in Paris for eight months doing the Lion King. Nice. And these are all through the same person that hired me for Disney Orlando, hired me for each one of these different gigs. So I think when you're loyal and you're a professional, good, you know, smart, um, easygoing actor that's easy to work with, people want to work with you. And specifically in locations that might be hard and difficult, they want to have people that they know yes. that can get it done. You yes. know, so um, and some of my closest friends to this day I met at Disney, Kyle, who we're in my apartment right now, Kyle, my best friend, he also worked with me in like uh, in American Vibe in Orlando. And he's been with Disney. He's doing Lion King now on Broadway. Oh, wow. And he's been with Disney loyally for almost 10, 12 years now. So, And we're still best friends for all those years. You That's know? amazing. So, you know, I think it's a, a good company. Yes. Well, my next question is twofold. One, uh, you have such a big, booming bass voice. Were you always a bass? Oh. <laughs> uh, and then my second is you talked about your, your dance training and everything like mm -hmm. that. You're also very, very tall. Where did your voice develop and where were your skills as dancing sure. with your limbs being yeah. long? <laughs> <laughs> with my limbs being long. Um, so my voice, I was a, I would say a boy soprano when I was in elementary school um, in church. Like I'd always sing the really high stuff. And then about midway through, I think middle school, maybe like seventh grade or eighth grade, I got a really bad cold and Never went away. And it never went away. I'm still <laughs> sick to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I got a bad cold, and I, my voice was changing while that cold happened. But because when you're a kid, you don't understand that. Like, I kept thinking, like, I'll get better, and then my voice will go back to the way it was. And it just dropped. Um, I also was really short in middle school. My um, junior year of high school, I had a growth spurt. Um, to this day, I have knee problems and stuff like that because it was um, kind of an unhealthy growth spurt. My like mom took me to the doctor and the doctor was like, sometimes it just happens this way. Yeah. And I just shot up. So I went through a really awkward phase of not knowing how to use my body. And so when I got to college, I think uh, my after I graduated high school, it kind of was the best thing in the world for me to then after this growth spurt happened to go into ballet training mm. and to go into modern dance training. and. We had um, different guest teachers come in, teach African and all kinds of different stuff that allowed me to like flail my limbs about in a class setting, but also realize how the body worked. I think I, I danced professionally for the WNBA for three years. You did? Yeah. Um, uh, it's called the M Squad. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so, of course, you have the NBA, which is the Orlando Magic, and the WNBA was the Orlando Miracle. Um, and I did the Orlando Miracle for three years. My name was Vibe. Vibe. <laughs> yes. And it was one of the coolest things. We rehearsed three times a week, um, and we did the games. And it was like we were little tiny mini celebrities in Orlando, Florida. Um, this was all while I was d doing Disney full time. This was like one of my extra side jobs. And um, 
we competed it was it was a cool gig and so um i think dance has always been something that i love um i think in another life i was a dancer um um, i've not always been the best at in auditions at retaining the choreography but once you let me marinate with the choreography i live with choreography i remember in rehearsals for in transit we didn't have a dance audition for in transit and one of the first days um, Kathleen Marshall, the legendary Kathleen Marshall, was choreographed. And you always say your first and last name. I always call her, I always said Kathleen Marshall. <laughs> I think in rehearsal, she, she I, don't, I don't know if she always knew what to do with me, but I always made her laugh and always kept her entertained and always, um, sometimes I could tell like situations got a little stressful and I would say probably inappropriate things in a normal other setting, but it's just who I am and she'd laugh at me, you know what I mean? And, and we had a good time and I just think at the end of the day, theater should be fun. We're yes. lucky to do what we do. So, um, but yeah, one time I was like, she was choreographing Wingman, and I was like just acting a fool. And like she was like, so we're gonna do this, and I like did something. She goes, oh, I like that better. You know what I mean? So it it, it was a, a a good time. But during our um, dress rehearsal, our invited dress, <laughs> there was something wrong. Like the show, we had not run the show yet without stopping, and she. She she was sitting in the house and it was all of our friends and family. Kayla mm-hmm. was there and um, I think Shay was there as oh, well. Oh yes, she was. And um, and they stopped the show um, because of we were having pictures taken and there was a blind that didn't get pulled down or something. And so she goes, "We're gonna take it. Where would you guys?" We, she goes, "We're gonna stop here because we're gonna fix James's tie because he didn't get like make the quick change." She goes, "We're gonna stop here. Um, where would you guys like to take it from?" And I said. <laughs> I don't even think, I didn't even think twice about it. I said, where would you like us to take it from, Miss Kathleen Marshall? And, like, everybody laughed. And then I realized, like, they haven't been in a part of our rehearsals, so they didn't know that I had been calling her that. So it sounded a little like I was, like, oh. you know, like, maybe giving a little sass back. And she laughed. She goes, oh, I love you. Take it from from the top. And it was just, like, a cute moment that everybody kind of got to be a part of. But that was the world we created. She yeah. just, I never, very quickly into the process, I didn't see her as... I knew I always had the respect that she was Kathleen Marshall, but I never like was overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be able to talk to her because I she has eighty seven Tonys and right. you know, she's she's a brilliant woman, you know. Well question, when I first met you, uh, the names like Kathleen Marshall were not in your vocabulary. <laughs> you uh, were really uh, struggling, uh, you were working temp job, the temp job, all those credits that uh, I read about you in New York have only happened in the last several years yeah. of, of your life. How did you not give up hope? How did you maintain the faith? That, that, and uh, so, so many times I think, um, I believe in God. I believe that, um, that most of the time, most of these little hiccups that happened in my career where I was ready to walk away, something, there was a little light that showed me that I was on the right path. Um, I was working at Bloomberg doing catering a really hard job where I would deliver lunches every day to people and I would work sometimes from five o'clock in the morning and not leave there till 11 o'clock at night. Oh, I was nice. making amazing money. I wasn't spending any money because I was eating so much food, really great food because it's catering. <laughs> but it was hard and I got really, I started really enjoying the benefits. They had bought me, I was working for a temp agency um, doing catering and I started getting recommended to the same place, Bloomberg. And so then one day Bloomberg was like, because I was working there five days, six days a week. And they were like, pulled me aside. And they're like, well, we'd much rather not pay the fee that we're paying the catering company and just pay you a little bit more and have you all the time here. We understand you do what you do. If you have auditions, if we can work around it, great. we just like to have you here because we like your spirit. So they bought me from the catering company. <laughs> they spent like $4,000 and bought me from the catering company. And I worked there. I got very used to the schedule. I was enjoying the fact that, you know, I had money in my account. I could pay my rent. Um, I was making like $16, $17 an hour. Um, and it was what it was. And at the time, I was with an agency that was submitting me for stuff. But I was like, all the time that they were submitting me for, I was not able to go to the auditions because they were around lunch times. Oh. And that was the busiest time of the day where I couldn't, like, slip out. So Showboat was happening at Goodspeed Opera House. And I was able to go to the audition, and they called me back, and I got an offer to do Showboat. And Bloomberg was like, the beautiful thing about Goodspeed is the contract's like four months long. Right. 
well, that was just too long. Bloomberg was like, we can't let you go. The people that work here that have been loyal, they, we can't let you go and come back. It just won't look good. And so I was like, I'm really enjoying having this Bloomberg job. I started making friends there. I was getting into the groove. It was a hard job, but I was like, okay, this is, in some ways I said, you know what? I could do this. I could also see myself moving up in the company. Mm. You know what I mean? Benefits were going to be great. Um, so I thought this, this is something I could do. And then my agent said, basically, if you don't take this job, we're going to drop you. So, and I was like, kind of had to make the decision. You know what? I didn't move to New York to do catering. Right. I moved to New York to be an actor. So I left. You know, and little things like that have happened along the way that remind me of why I moved here. Because it's so, it is easy. You can find other things to do in this city. It's New York. You can find a million different kinds of jobs that you're somewhat mediocrely happy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you find happiness in making money consistently. But the reality is, if you don't stick with it, you'll never be able to get higher and, and, and better opportunities with different shows, you know. And, that was like kind of the beginning of the bump into where I am at now. You right. know, working at Good Speed was a good, reputable theater. I'd worked everywhere, but not he, like someplace close, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to come home to auditions and had Good Speed on my resume. And I went on as Joe multiple times. And, you know, that's, I think, what kind of snowballed uh, my, my exciting new, you know, chapter. Right, you know, which is amazing, and you also talk about uh, the concert "I Am Harvey Milk." Yes, that uh, we got to do that together. Yeah, uh, you had a great feature. Mm-hmm. You talked about that experience changing you. Yes. It changed me in an emotional way, but it changed you in such a different way. Mm-hmm. How, how were those steps? I think so. I'm trying to think. The the funny thing about some of these opportunities that we have, sometimes the most exciting ones involve very little pay. Mm. Involve very little work in terms of like you'll get an email hey are you available for this <laughs> and you're like sure and then you don't know where you're going you don't know what you know what who else is going to be there yeah. you just show up and you're taking on a ride it's probably one of the few industries that are like that like you sign up for things that you really have no clue it's like i always talk about doing regional gigs i get on a plane and i fly somewhere i don't know where i'm going to live i don't know who i'm going to live with <laughs> i don't know what, what kind of toilet i'm going to sit on what kind of shower but i just trust yeah. that it's all going to come together yeah. and it always does sometimes maybe not the best but you that's part of the rise we take so we're probably open to a lot of these opportunities more so than other people so harvey milk when i got it um tim rosser, rosser i think it was his name um he asked me if i was available showed up at this church with what was it 150 men yes and sang music in the first 30 minutes i thought for me i'm a choral boy that's where my life started so sitting in a room with you know a maestro or a musical director standing in front of us which he was like i called it musical theater church or Mm -hmm. musical church because it was spiritual the way he was telling us to read that music and and um live through the lyrics of that music also was beautiful music oh, some of the most stunning yes. music i've ever seen in my life but also the power power of singing with a bunch of men that could sing um in new york city um there was power in all of that and that kind of it was pivotal in a lot of ways um andrew lippa is a man that i've been inspired by many different shows that he's done and kristen chenoweth also somebody that i've literally thought this diva, I'm in love with her from the moment I saw her in Wicked. So all these different like things were m- like little pixie dust. I go back to Disney, of course. Little <laughs> pixie dust of different experiences that I've had in my life. And it was almost like the perfect cauldron of like beautiful qualities that I would, I, I could literally sing that music for the rest of my life. And that was, that was when we did it at Avery Fisher Hall, Whoopi Goldberg spoke. I had a bunch of friends in the audience. Um, it just was, it was a moment that I was like, this is this is an epic moment of my life and my career that I'll never forget. And then I got to go on and do it for the world premiere of Anne Hutchinson um, in Maryland. They, they, they took a couple of us down there and we did a full production with choreography and everything. And it was, it's just one of those shows, I think in your career you have, you know, when you look back and you, I, when I look back and I say, you know, I got to do this, that, and the other, that will be ranked as one of the most epic moments of my career. And I think 
just the the quality of of us all coming together to tell the story of this man um, through music in a time when you know it needs to be reminded like what he did uh-huh. to get us to where we are you know and that's all I'll say about that <laughs> but didn't it open a door for on the town yeah exactly I mean I had a, a tiny solo in it um, a little bass feature and the musical producers um, of Harvey Milk are the musical producers of On the Town. I was doing The Little Mermaid in Maryland, and I got an email from my agent. Hey, can you send this in for On the... They're interested in you for On the Town. Can you send this in? And I, being knowing this business, I said, I don't want to send in a video for On the Town on Broadway because they're never going to hire me for a video. I need to, like, show up. I'll fly in. I'll figure it out. You yeah. know, I'll take the train in. And he called me immediately and was like, no, just send in the video. I'm telling you, it'll be fine. And I just thought that was so strange, the way he was making it seem so, like, nonchalant. This yeah. is Broadway. I've also never been on Broadway. So in my mind, I'm like, I need to be there. I need to show them who I am. Yeah. I sent the video in on a Thursday. Friday, I got an email, you're getting an offer. And I was like, I, I, I couldn't understand how a video, and I got an offer the next day. Which then, I then later found out that it was the same producers and also I like it's just so goes to show like so much of your relationships that you build in this city in this business um pay off later on you yes, know exactly and, and um and so yeah that's that's kind of how that all came together so on the town was your Broadway debut and I got to see it house seat like your second week <laughs> which is very exciting I mean I'm so thrilled you did this podcast because it's I mean about the ensemble but you're your roles on Broadway haven't even really been the ensemble. I mean, you have great numbers in your Broadway shows. You made your Broadway debut on stage by yourself singing. I could kind of poop on myself a little bit when you say that, just because it was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. After every night after the show, I felt like I'd accomplished, like, the biggest accomplishment. You know, for, for, for On the Town, the most crazy thing about it is I was the first person. They had opened, I think, in October. I went in, I started rehearsals in November. So I was the first person they put into the show. Be- now, having, it was really cool to be that first person. Right. But there was no, you know, there was no cast on stage with me. I never got to sing with the orchestra. It was just me in between shows with the dance captain walking around being like, because they didn't even know specifics at the same time like she was like he's kind of around here and then (laughs) and he's over here and like and and they were great the dance captains were fantastic but like you know for me to like the biggest theater on Broadway Mm -hmm. um, the my Broadway debut Mm -hmm. I just needed a little more specifics emotionally (laughs) maybe not like spiritually but just I needed you stand at the white dot and the the stage was so big that it was like red dot blue light like there were little lights on the front of the stage and like she would be like you're at the white dot these little white dots are like pin needle dots so like when you're on stage you don't have time to look for the white dot also with lights shining you can't see so it was terrifying. So my very first performance, <laughs> I, I like like I said, I only sang with the piano player in my rehearsals. And it's the biggest orchestra on Broadway. And you start the show um, walking during the national anthem. You walk in um, the house left side. You walk down the aisle. And then... <laughs> and then orchestra stops. And everybody applauds. And as they sit down, the orchestra goes, boom, and hits this note. Now, when you have a whole orchestra hit play a note, there's sometimes there's not a pitch center to that note. It's like a boom. And I, I had never sang with them. Now, the whole orchestra's looking up at me, oh. like, who is this guy, you know, that they're allowing that's never sung with us <laughs> to get up here? I'm not no opera star. You know what I mean? I'm not Nicholas from Niceville, Florida. I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm... They're all, and I felt like this judgment, the, the maestro who I've also never sung with, because I sang with the assistant all the time in rehearsals, um, he's holding this note, and everybody is looking at me. You know what I mean? So I go to step up on the stairs, and I could not hear my note. Now, maybe I couldn't hear it because I was so nervous, and my right. heart was beating out of my chest. 
But um, I like, walked up the stairs and I, I wanted to say somebody, can you give the note again? <laughs> and somebody just dung, 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 dung. But instead I was like, oh my God, I can't hear the note. I can't hear the note. And I, I'm probably saying I feel like I'm not out of bed yet like 700 times that day. You know what I mean? Like, so it was in the body, but mentally I was like, I can't hear the note. I can't. So I, I, I closed my eyes. I said, Francis, my mentor, Nana, if y'all could just lay this note in my mind and my spirit, and if I start wrong, I start wrong. I stepped up those stairs, I turned around, and I sang. And as soon as the note came out of my mouth, I knew this was a moment. Mm-hmm. I knew this was the moment that I waited for my entire life. I was still nervous, but there was it's, there's something to be said about all the years of training that gets you where you are. I'm not some 19, 12, 13-year-old kid that got a Broadway show. You know, I'm 30, 36 at the time, 37 years old. This, I've worked my butt off to get to where I am in a lot of really crappy jobs. <laughs> so, like, when, when I went to sing, I think there was almost this representation of all the work I put in, all the people that have helped me get to where I am. And immediately, I just, like, it almost just washed over me to live in this moment. And it was one of the most amazing experiences. Now, the second, the funny thing is when you f- perform one night, <laughs> you're like living on adrenaline. The second night and the third night are the hardest nights because oh, yeah. then the adrenaline's not there as much and the focus isn't as there as much and everybody's not there helping you get through it as much and that's when the job really began to be like, okay, you're having a good time, but this is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had so many people at every show, so I felt like I had to be perfect at every show and it was it was just, it was, it was an amazing Broadway debut to be able to open a huge show. Yes. I mean, you can't write that, you know? And I look back at that and I think how lucky I am to be able to say that I opened On the Town, you know? I was the opening person in On the Town. Absolutely. And then you took up shop over at City Center for a while. You did five or six shows with them? I think six. Six shows. Mm-hmm. So how was the whole Encores experience? Because it's... <laughs> A lot of work in a short amount of time. Sure. My first one was Pipe Dream with Leslie Uggams, who I respected. i will never forget, like, I'm sitting in, in the rehearsal the very first day, terrified because it was my first encore. And I'm like, how the heck are we going to learn all this music in yeah. three days? And, you know, we open next week, basically. But having so many experiences in Summerstock, that kind of helped me mm. remember, like, this is just a bougie Summerstock with a much bigger budget. Like, that's the bottom line. You know, it's I say bougie now because of you. <laughs> Bougie is an excellent, excellent word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's all it was. It was like a bougie version of Summerstock. And so <laughs> so we, Leslie Uggams, I'm sitting in rehearsal. And as one of the few African-Americans in the room, she spotted, I was like staring at her. <laughs> and she like looked up and like smiled and nodded at me. And I just remember having this like moment where I was like, Leslie Uggams just nodded at me, you know? And then at the time I was reading Hunger Games. And every day in rehearsal in between, if I wasn't playing my music, I'd be reading. And she'd come over and she'd go, what's happening in the games today, sugar? <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, would tell her what was happening. And it was our, like, cute little banter that we had through the whole process, during tech, during everything. Even during the show, sometimes I'd be sitting backstage and she's like, how are the games today, baby? You know, and, and, and it was cool. It, encores, what I love the most about encores is, at the end of the day, I love to sing. Mm-hmm. And... I think so many times, I, a lot of these older musicals, you had a singing chorus and a dancing chorus. There would be like 10 guys, 10 girls, just singers, 10 guys, 10 girls, just dancers, these huge Broadway shows. Now, obviously, because of budgets, the shows are a lot smaller, so we have to do a lot more different things. We have to sing, we have to dance, we have to act. And our, or in our show, we have to be the orchestra and in transit, <laughs> yeah. we have to be the stage mover. You know, you have to do everything. Yeah. But back in the day, it was very specific. And what I love the most about Encores is I get to just sing some of the most beautiful learner and love, you know, like it's, it's, it's beautiful music and we're on stage with the orchestra and you get to just take people on a, like a musical ride of a show that most of the time, most people have never seen. Yeah. Um, and you get to, they kind of forgive all the things that are wrong with the show and immediately the audience that are come, that come there are just there to appreciate what we've done in a week and a half. And I think the expectations, because those expectations of pressure are not on right. us, we get to just enjoy singing this lovely music. And ironically, it's some of the most beautiful music that's ever done. You oh, know? absolutely. Um, Paint Your Wagon was another one of my favorites. Zorba, 
I, I know I look Greek, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was cool to get to be on stage also with, you know, because Encores gets a lot of celebrities because the rehearsal right. process is so short. So you get to sit there and watch a master class of actors that are like sometimes award-winning actors go through their process also being very insecure in a room of us, a bunch of musical theater performers. Right. So it's fascinating that, like, getting to watch them work out their process and maybe sometimes being insecure, you know? I'm like, do you not know who you are? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're coming over to us telling us how great we sound and they've never heard voices like that. So, oh, that's you know, amazing. Really cool. So this summer you did a production of Big River. Yes. And um, I got to see you, uh, not in the show, but on a break from the show. And you were telling me how exhausting it was, and I asked you, I was like, what, what, do you got, what do you do in the show that's so exhausting? And you just flat out said, Brad, I'm playing a slave, yeah. which is something I didn't even consider, you know, and I was thinking, oh, dance steps. Right. But I mean, that <laughs> is an emotional journey that you had to go on. Right. And so how is it that type of experience? Yeah, I think it's, it's crazy to be talking about this right now with all that's going on in the world. And I think, you know, Big River, is one of my favorite roles to do and also one of the hardest roles for me to do. I'm a very sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And to be in a show where growing up where I grew up, I was called certain words. Um, and then to be in a musical that used those same horrible derogatory words, it brings me back to a lot of stuff that happened early on in my life that I've not forgotten, but been able to deal with and put into perspective. And Going in through a, a, a journey in a show like that, no matter, I, I'm, maybe I'm not that good of an actor that can just like walk in and do it and then like leave it. But, you know, there would be times where I would do the show and then in between the show, I'd go to the grocery store. I was, it was in Connecticut and there was a little woman staring at me at the grocery store. Now, maybe she wasn't racist. Maybe she was just staring at me because I was there's no black people in that town, and she was just staring at me because I had really nice shoes on. Right. I don't know, but you become very sensitive when you do a show that's about race, you know. And there were a lot of young kids in the show that I felt like my obligation to teach them uh, that when you're in a show like this, to have respect for your fellow actor that's going along on this journey. Mm -hmm. You know, just because when I walked in here, I was laughing and having a good time with you. I think you have to have respect that like my journey in this show is longer than you coming in and out and playing little song, you know, dancing around, not to belittle that at all. But I think sometimes it was, it was hard for me to like shake off the show. Yeah. And the schedule we were on was kind of hard. We had like two on Thursday, one on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. So I was tired yeah. <laughs> and emotionally tired and the, the race factor and the journey that you take is just hard. And I think it was the first time I'd really like felt that. And and I I, I, I was excited when it was over because I was like, I, I wanna leave that there for a while. Right, you know? and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But with the whole issue of race, mm -hmm. do you find that you're uh, in this business of uh, show that you're only limited to certain, certain types of shows, certain types of characters, or do you think that colorblind casting is actually true? I do and I don't. It's a hard question to answer because I feel like in my journey as an actor, I've done a lot of, I've done Showboat a lot. I've done a lot of Big Rivers now. Um, but then it's hard because then my Encores experiences break all those rules. Right. I've gotten to be in these shows that have nothing to do with race. Now granted, I might, it only maybe be like, there's maybe only a couple of African Americans or Asians in the show. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of those shows were done back in the day where there weren't, we would not have been around. So right now I'm doing a show in transit and it's based off of New York City. Mm -hmm. And I know the writers um, current day and the writers were trying really hard for it to be a representation of what you look at when you walk down the street. I play Chris, who is a businessman, you know, a finance guy. He, he, they didn't have to go with an African-American. You know, and I'm so proud that every day I go to get to be in a show that has nothing to do with my race. I'm actually African Canadian is a joke that they made in the show. <laughs> and Kristen, I remember Kristen, uh, one of the writers, she came up to me during rehearsals one day and she goes, I just want to make sure that, that joke's not like disrespectful or rude. And I was like, 
don't let me be the deciding factor, but I don't find anything wrong with it. I find it hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, I think if it's coming from a good place and the fact that you're concerned already is leaps and bounds, you know, more than maybe some other people. Right. So um, I think you have respect and, and, and know that, like, it's coming from a genuine place. But I think shows like Hamilton, you know, I, are breaking the mold. Right. Um, but I think it needs to be broken more. You know, um, but there are a lot of opportunities for a lot of different people in different shows on Broadway, you know, and with Miss Saigon coming and, you know, there's, I, I hope it will get better. Um, it's hard for me because like I said, I, I feel like, you know, and on the town even, I wasn't playing a black man. So, right. you know, I was playing um, a captain and a, a workman and all kinds of different stuff. But you did say with In Transit that you're like, this is the first time I'm in a suit. Yeah. I'm a successful playing a successful person yeah exactly which is fun <laughs> it's fun to be at a show where i just get to like be me right you know and it has nothing to do with my color nothing at all that's um, great mm -hmm. and it's refreshing and and it makes it much easier to you know do eight shows a week <laughs> yes you know? i just heard this new term recently called white fragility which i guess is similar to white privilege mm. So as a white man, there's just things I don't understand or I can try to emphasize. Mm -hmm. I heard your experience as a black man in New York City mm -hmm. isn't what I would think it is, that you feel in other countries that you're much more accepted as an equal. Mm -hmm. And I just found that fascinating that you wouldn't think that in New York City. Either. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so I feel like that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're going to go to commercial on this one and come back in a minute. No, I just feel like my experiences, I've been living here off and on for, God, like 13, 14 years now. And I still, you know, I'll be on the train and <laughs> happened just the other day. I bumped into a woman because the train did something and she like grabbed her purse and looked at me as if I was like reaching for her purse. And I thought, Diva, I'm on Broadway. I don't need your raggedy purse. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like there's so many like the, the crazy thing is there's so many little things like that that build up that make you lose it on something really small. Right. You know, and so I think sometimes if, if this world could be, you know, if there's more compassion in all of our different experiences in life, then we'd all get along a lot better. I don't know. That's a hard, it's a hard one to try to sum up because it just depends on the day. Right. You know? Yeah, because I think, oh, this is New York City. It's, it's fine, you know, but I don't get but it. There's a lot of people that are not from New York here. Right. And I work in an area where all those people hang out. Right. A lot of people say that they don't feel like they have a valid Broadway career until they get their second show. Because hmm. they say the oh, first one could just be a fluke. How has your experience been with In Transit in general? It's honestly the hardest job I've ever had in my entire career. We, for an hour and 40 minutes, sing pretty nonstop. And we, it's so funny, there's a period at the end of the show where we're all like hanging out before we all come out for getting there. And I think it's the first time we all breathe. Mm. <laughs> like, Justin always comes up to me, like, on Saturday, Saturday night, right before our, like, second to last show. And he's like, oh. Like, we breathe. We can't. It's hard to be in a show when you're singing to breathe. Yes. Because, like, as the bass, there's um, Four Days Home. Almost the whole song, I go, doom, 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 doom. So each time I take a breath, I don't take a breath. I take a quick, like quick catch breath to try to get to the next phrase. Now, when you do that for four and a half minutes, oh my gosh! And you're also running around, moving furniture around, changing clothes. I changed clothes three times in that number. <laughs> it's and as the bass, I always I'm very aware of always wanting to be the foundation for mm -hmm. the entire. Also, like the way they mix the show, my voice is very established in yes, the mix. Yes, it is. So you know, when I found that out, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I I can't miss a beat." You know, we have a click in our ear, and there's one moment where everybody takes a moment to like get a drink while I'm doing this song, and I don't even have time. I have to like try to take a sip of water on beat so that I cannot miss a note. It's it's that and that just kind of sums up in transit there's this beautiful moment that we're all this whole show we're telling this beautiful story i think it's a beautiful story that is about being present and being in the moment and 
Um, we're all caught up in all these different crazy things going on in life, but just taking a second to realize that just be on the A. And I am proud that I'm a part of it. It's just hard. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, and we, you know, we're the guinea pigs. This has never been done on Broadway before. We wear ear monitors. We get our notes from our musical director, the best, hardest-working musical director, Rick, Rick Hip Flores, in the business, or MD. He sits in a little room backstage, like Anne Frank, I always call him, in his Diary of Anne Frank room. <laughs> and he's so removed from us, and he's really the 12th member on stage with us because he has to breathe. Like any other time you have an orchestra, you have your conductor that's in front of you, and you can kind of see the wand happening, and you, he follows you, and you're breathing together. Well, Rick's removed from us, but yet he's still doing all those same things. Right. He has a little monitor, and he can talk to what's in our ears. Uh, but if something funny happens, he'll be giggling while he's doing a count-in. So it's, he's just some, another he's another cast member. And it's just a tricky show because we, as, indiv- as human beings, are not perfect. So let's say I come in, and I'm feeling a little under, or I'm tired, I'm singing a little flat one day. Well, you have 11 people that are depending on you. So it's tricky because we never, it, you never have a perfect show. There's just too many things, mm. too many variables. And also in your, when you're in a show that like normally has an orchestra, there's nothing better than being like, oh, I'm tired, but the orchestra's gonna get me through it today. Yes. Well, I'm your orchestra. So that's what's tricky about this one. It's like, there's just so much room for error. And we're all finding too now. We've been open now for two months. Um, we started previews, what, three months ago, four months ago. And we're learning that maintaining this is hard. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I give Rick so much props because he knows not every day can he give notes. Not every day can he, like, bust our balls because at the end of the day, we are human beings. And he knows, gosh, I see this person's tired today mm. because they had an understudy rehearsal and they had an audition. And so he knows, like, okay, I'll work on that tomorrow, you know? And it's tricky. It's a it's a tricky show because just for the simple fact that I think <laughs> Kathleen and, and the producers and everything, they were like, let's just keep giving them, the writers, let's just keep giving them stuff. And so we, we, we built this show, and now maintaining this show eight shows a week is tricky. Also, it's winter. And as a singer, the winter is hard on the voice, on the body. You, Everybody... You know, when you're in a small show, too, the cast gets sick. We all literally got this horrible bug, and it just went from person to person to person to person. And, you know, it's tricky because you can't cough when you're singing. No. <laughs> you know, and... And um, when I could hear you when you were off stage. Yeah, because we're singing... Yeah, because we are... We're the intros, we're the outros, we're the orchestra underneath songs. Sometimes I'm singing as an instrument. Sometimes I'm singing as a vocalist. Sometimes I, I, I literally finish my solo that I have, Wingman, and then I walk over and I move chairs. <laughs> and then I go back, change clothes to sing backstage. Like, it's, it's each of us have that, that same thing. That's why we all, there's no egos involved. Right. There's, we all have so much mutual respect for each other. And I can honestly say each of us love each other so much. It could not be any more of an ensemble piece. You know, I don't know if there's an ensemble award, but I feel like we should win it just for the simple fact that we support each other wholeheartedly. There is an ensemble award. It's really? the Broadway Backbone Award oh, on Broadway Worlds. Hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. But as an audience member, you definitely are aware of how hard everyone's working. Mm. It was very interesting to sit there because I was so... I followed the story, of course, sure. but I was so like, oh my God, Nicholas is singing <laughs> off stage. You know I mean? You're yeah. watching these people and you're like non-stop non-stop so what do you do vocally to rest or to take care of it or i mean are you warming up every day how do you maintain it um so as the base of the show i don't warm up Mm. because my voice warms up like most voices warm up you can't really warm down Mm. um and typically i speak of a higher a higher timbre than i sing so the more i talk the more my voice warms up and i lose sometimes the low 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 notes oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. I'm tired today, so my voice is a little more husky and sitting a little down. But typically, I, I drink tea before the show. Every day at five minutes to play uh, to places for the top of the show, we all come together and we sing. Rick has us sing two or three different little selections from the show. And then we always do the opening number. Ooh, deep beneath the city. Mm. We do that every day because no matter what happens in our lives, 
we all have to come back together and start the show again. And if we didn't have that moment to like lock back in, I think the show could sound crazy. It wouldn't sound like we're blending. So sometimes like <laughs> that's that's you checking back in with each other. We're all kind of realizing we need each other. We make this music together and blending is huge. So, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky show. Now, the girls might have a whole nother situation. I know three of the girls steam every day before the show. Mm. I always hear the boy, Justin, and uh, James's dressing room is right next to mine. They're always warming up before the show. They have a, like, piano warm-up that they do. So, you know, we all probably have different things. If I was singing something high in the show, I would warm up, but I just don't, you know. Well, it seems like putting in people and uh, understudies and swings must be a nightmare. We have we call we don't call them swings. We call them super swings. Oh well, they, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. because each of our swings knows at least two parts. Now, in trans, it's eleven part music. There's nobody has ever doubled. Nobody ever sings uh, the same phrase twice. That's how intricate the music is. So. And typically when you sing a show, a normal Broadway show, you're singing your part, but you're singing with an orchestra. Sometimes you're doubled and sometimes, you know, you can kind of find your way through. This one, we rely on you to know your part. Mm. So our swings, each of our swings have gone on. Uh, Laurel, who I call her super duper swing, she's gone on for three different female tracks. Our bender has gone on for two, Trent and Steven. They're, they play opposite each other and he's played in the same week each part so I don't even know like he's talking to himself <laughs> like logistically he's having a conversation with himself and list, like listening to make sure that he's not saying that it's just ridiculous and so and I'm like I was joking I'm like I applaud them at the end of the show I'm like I barely can do what I do and I do one part and y'all are able to do multiple things it's just amazing and I think also what's beautiful, each person that's come into the show um, has always said that, like, as a cast, we cannot be any more supportive, um, which I think is valuable because we know we couldn't do it without them. Oh, you know? no. And I think last week was Swing Day. Did you hear about that? It was, like, National oh, Swing Oh, yes, Day. yes, yes. And um, we had, like, a little party for our swings, you know? Oh, and, that's great. Yeah, because I think, you know, specifically in the holidays, we were, we were doing, like, 16, 17 shows in a row with no day off. And a lot of us were sick. And our show, because we didn't have a lot of coverage, almost went down one day because one of one of the girls, two of our girls were sick and one of them could not miss because if she missed, the show would have been canceled. So right now we're teaching new swings and we have a couple of new girls coming in and they're, I think, casting for another boy. So, you know, it's a tricky show. Tricky show. Yeah. I love that you said that you got a trainer because you you promised yourself when I got in a running Broadway show I'd get myself a trainer. Yeah. But at the same time, you're still auditioning. You're yeah. not like resting on your laurels. No, so. no. I literally, it's funny. I have a trainer today, um, which I gotta get going soon. Um, but uh, yeah, Bougie. I've always that's bougie, Yeah. <laughs> I've always dreamed about being in a Broadway show and having a trainer and taking care of my body. And I've been a little bad this past week, but. I've tried to like, you know, getting getting in better shape, taking care of myself a little bit more and I have an audition tomorrow. So yeah, it doesn't stop. I think I think you never know. We kind of where our show is doing better now and we're our ticket sales are picking up and but you never you can never just assume that your show's gonna run forever. Right. You know, and the reality is it won't. It right. will close one day, you know. So if nothing else, I go to some of these auditions just to make sure that my face is still out there. Mm -hmm. um, and also, there's something really great about, you know, being in a show auditioning because there's something valuable about being kind of acknowledged that you're a working actor, you know. And I think automatically they see you in a little bit of a different light, in a positive light. But also, you know, uh, I enjoy auditioning. I enjoy getting to try new material. You and do, wow. I do. I I love auditioning with for stuff that I like. <laughs> like I can see myself doing. There's something fun in that. There's there's value in in walking in the room. I finally at an age where I feel confident that I can go in and like I can nail some of the material. You know, there's something refreshing about that. Um, that wasn't always the case. You know, but now I I kind of know what I can do. And if my agent sends me something that I don't think I can do or I'm not interested in, I just say no. I don't. Even though there's a very big show coming and I had an audition last week for it and they called me back to cover two parts. 
and I called my agent. I like thought about it, thought about it, and then the night before, I just was like, I'd prepared the material and everything, and I thought, I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to cover two parts anymore. I just enjoy waking up knowing what I have to do every day. Right. I'll cover one track, but I just no no show is worth me being stressed and not enjoying the experience. I've swung in my career and I've covered in my career, and I just. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. And if, if that means I need to work at Taco Bell instead right. of doing yeah. that, I'd much rather wake up and make burritos than be waiting for that text message at four o'clock saying you're on for such and such. I just don't. No, I agree. Do that. Yes. <laughs> do you think it's uh, an age thing or do you think it's a credits thing? You have a different type of confidence now where you could say no, where before you're like, oh, I'll take anything. Take anything. I think it's both. I also think that like life is too short. You know, and that comes with age, obviously, and wisdom. But, like, I just know for myself, I, I know, I don't know everything about myself, but I'm learning that I know certain things really strongly about myself. Right. And I know that, you know, I look at our swings now, and I'm like, I have no desire to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have no desire. It's thankless. You know, it's, you know, they, they only remember when you do wrong. They don't remember when you do. I'm not talking about our swings, but I'm saying when yeah. you're the person as a swing. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I just love, like I said, I love knowing that, like, when I go to, sh I like, right now in In Transit, I'm the foundation of the show. I consistently can be that foundation. I've not missed a show. I was sick, but I could still do it, knowing that that was the one thing I had to do. I just have no desire to swing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not fun. <laughs> I was a dance swing in Showboat, the National Tour of Showboat, and I learned, like, six tracks, and I would do split tracks, and then... I'd be at the club the night before and be like, okay, I need to go home because I'm on for him and him and him tomorrow. Like, I just was <laughs> like, I, 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 I have no desire to do that anymore. Oh. Well, your career is now about to, to take off, and I mean, you mm -hmm. have such a, a good foundation. But up up to now, what would you think is some of your, your most proudest moment? It, and it doesn't even have to be your career. It could be in your life. Yeah, I mean, I I'm in a good place now. Right now, I feel like I'm... I'm in a show that I'm proud of. I'm I'm have I'm able to have a little bit of a social life now. I'm getting that back slowly but surely. But I think you know some of the, my mother's flying. My mother and my cousin are flying in next uh, week for to see the show, and um, they're celebrating their birthdays. And I one of my survival jobs was the W Hotel Times Square. They're staying at my hotel. I think I'm gonna send them to see Lion King. They've never seen Lion King and Kyle's wow. and Lion King, so. I'm I'm just excited that I'm able to a little bit financially be able to afford to you know have my mom come up and 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 help you know have her experience New York in a in a fun way. But I think career-wise, Harvey Milk was obviously one of the most epic right. moments of my career. But I still feel like there's some some really exciting things that are going to happen. I'm going to start producing my own show in the next couple months. You are. Mm -hmm. It's going to be at 54 below. I hope. Let's see. You know, that's a dream. Yeah. You know, but why not? Put it out there. I know. Exactly. I talked to my musical director of, of In Transit, and he's down to, to do it. So, you know, it's it's things are happening, and um, who knows what's next? I mean, I, I, I'm just, obviously, Broadway is something that I'm enjoying now, but I can see myself, like, I'd love to be at the Met, you know? I'd love to tap into opera and... And, and start like really looking at the different different venues of theater rather than the arts rather than just being you know kind of stuck in one one lane yeah so. well you mentioned the W and that was another company that loved you and they were like are you sure you don't want to do this full-time <laughs> so you had another opportunity with a, a real job coming towards you and you said no yes I could go back there actually if right. I wanted to and I still can I've always thought, you know, if I wanted to leave the city, I could be a concierge in Miami or something, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I've always lived my life never burning the bridge because you never know what you want to do. And I, I love, obviously, I love entertaining people. I love making people happy um, and making people feel good. So, you know, that doesn't always have to be on a stage. Right. So I'm open to different possibilities. Right now I'm loving where I'm at, but... I'm definitely if something came up where I was like, yeah, I'll move to Paris and I don't speak French, so I can't teach well, anything. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. This wasn't on the list. But speaking of the W and yes. making people happy, 
I love the story about the little girl from Fun Home. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so tell that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, so I worked at the front desk at the W and there was this little girl that came in and she was, um, at the time I didn't know, but she had like, uh, her father came and said, hey, can we extend our stay? Um, so I was like, sure. So I like put it in the system and extended it. And the next day he came back and he's like, oh, she got another callback. Can you send it again? And I was like, what did she, she get a callback for? And he's like, for Fun Home. And excuse me, I was like, oh my gosh, how cool is that? So then they left, they came back because she had another callback. And I was like, oh my God, how's it going? She's like, great. And so three more callbacks later, like we had established every time she came back and got a callback, she'd come give me a hug. I'd high five her and I'd be like, and then finally she's like, He's like, do you, what do you do? And I was like, actually, that's what I do. It's always weird when you're having this conversation when you're at the front desk at the W talking about, like, actually being an actor. But right. um, because it's in Times Square, I think people are a little more understanding. And so I was like, oh, I was like, you're going to get this. I know it. And so sure enough, her final callback, she comes down. She's all dressed up in her little outfit. And I was like, she was, I want to sing the, is the Ring of Keys. Yes. She goes, I want to perform it for you for my before my callback. So we like went in the corner and she sang this song, which I literally was welling up in my eyes. This little girl that I was like, I knew very little about, but was looking me dead in my eyes and singing this song with so much passion and almost like a spirit a little older and wiser than she mm. really was. And I was like, you're going to book this. And she went and the next day her dad came by and he's like, she got it. She's going to be the cover for it. So while she was at dinner, I went out to because W's all about making magical moments, just like Disney. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went out and they gave me like a hundred bucks and I went and bought a bunch of stuff. I decorated her room and put like Broadway baby and then got her like all kinds of different stuff, fun home stuff and um, balloons and everything. And when she came back, her room was surprised. And then they left and then I, I left the W and was, this was before fun home was closing. One home I think was running for another like month and I had left to do a gig and came back and sure enough the father contacted me and was like she's gonna go on on this date and I want you to be on the second row <gasps> so I didn't know this mm -hmm. part well that day ironically I got the like one of the worst flus I'd ever had I was like shaking in bed I was so sick and the show was at night and I was like I have to be there for this little girl so I threw on some clothes I got an uber to pick me up in front of my house <laughs> Drive me to the theater. I walked into that theater and I sat there. And there was moments where I was like, I'm going to be sick. And she looked me in the first scene she was on, looked me dead in my eyes and smiled while she was performing. And it kind of made me feel better for that little moment. And yeah, she was fantastic. And I gave her, I gave her dad flowers to give to her because I didn't want to get her sick. And I came home and um, full circle again, my show in transit replaced Fun Home. So she was walking by the theater a couple weeks ago with her mom. She just happened to be in town for a final callback for something else. And she saw me at the, I was at the box office getting tickets. And she runs in and she hugs me. And she's like, oh my gosh, you're in my theater. And I was like, I know, it's such a crazy small world. And so, yeah, she's, she, you will see her very soon, I'm sure. And we'll see much more of you too, because not, you're great on stage, but obviously you're a wonderful man mm. off stage. YouTube pudding. Oh, I thanks. So if I could end this podcast with any song from your life, from your career, what would it be? Let It Sing from Violet. I oh. Think that's what it's from. Raise them. That one, is it Violet? Yes. I don't actually know. Yeah. Look it up. He's going to play it for y'all real soon. Oh, well, thank you very much. I love you. I love you too. Raise your foot now, that's the way. You'll be moving on today. Raise the other, put it down. Now you're headed into town. Whoa, boy, you got left, right. Oh, boy, ain't that right? Got some years ahead to go. You'll go free if you take it slow. Whoa, boy, you got left, right. Oh, boy, ain't that right? Two kinds of people in this world. Some say yes and some say no. Time to say which side you're on. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Say yes and your adventures start. Not always as expected. 
Say no, you stay apart, but you stay protected. You got to give yourself a reason to rejoice. For the music you make counts for everything. Now every living soul has got. of every day ate what's on our plates you know never threw a thing away we kept our nightmares on the shelf our dreams were on the table pass them down and help yourself as long as you are able my mama told me son forget what might have been give yourself a break whatever's happening don't Take it slow Got some years it won't be long And you'll be free to sing your song Oh boy, you got left, right? Oh boy, this precious little really folks like us control But you can make your music from the simplest Give it 